Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Originals podcast. We're in the wild year of 2020. We're laying down a series of chats to document a game-changing happening with origins in the world of Australian sport. Explainer? I'm biased, clearly, but I'll steer you to episode one of this podcast for the lowdown. This episode of the Originals, and we're up to number eight now, blew my mind approximately 50,000 times in the making. Akesh Makurchut was an inaugural AFL Women's League player, debuting with Fremantle Footy Club in 2017. She was delisted, left Perth, and in 2018 played for Carlton's VFLW side. In 2019, she joined Richmond in the VFLW. Then she became a member of the Tigers' original AFLW list. Akesh was born in South Sudan. She lived her early life in a refugee camp, and all up, her first 11 years were either in the camp or in transition. Akesh has seen and experienced things in a young life that most won't experience in an entire lifetime. Given what Akesh shares in this unfiltered chat, I hope you understand why we don't talk a whole lot about footy in a traditional sense. With no time limits, I could still be asking Akesh questions now. So let's get to where we got to, and I hope you enjoy it. So I'm looking at the face of Akesh Makur Chut. Yes. Out of 10, how's that? About eight. Oh! I like, okay. I like how you say Makur. Makur. Yeah, Chut. Chut. Yes, that's it. Could you, for the benefit of every single <laughs> broadcaster, commentator, fan, <laughs> teammate, everyone, yeah. please introduce yourself. Um, so my name is Akesh Makur Chut. What does that name mean? Um, so um, Akech. So my when when my father passed away in 1992, um, in the Sasunese culture, when you're the last child of I guess that generation, that's your name. So when when they found out that my mum was pregnant while during the funeral of my dad, um, yeah, that was gonna be my name, um, Akech, um, and then because my dad was married to seven wives. Three of his wives were pregnant at the same time. So I got two other sisters named Akech. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very cultural, significant name. Um, and, yeah, it's, a, it's an opportunity for me to get to know my dad, even though I never got to meet him. Yeah, so that's what Akech means. And then Makur is my dad's name. Uh, and Chot's my granddad's name. Mm. Yeah. Let's start there. Your birth. <laughs> It's in South Sudan. Yeah. Yeah. Can you take us to the place and, and illustrate it for us? Yeah. So I was born in a, in a, in a small village town called Agoran, um, just outside the main town, Yeru, um, in South Sudan. And I, I haven't been back to Agoran yet, but I've been back to my hometown of, of Yeru, where my mum was born, where my dad was born, where my grandparents still live. Most of my siblings still there as well, um, so yeah, it was um, it was um, I was born, um, and then obviously um, we had to relocate. I think a couple of months later we moved um, to South Sudan. Um, we moved from South Sudan to to Kenya because uh, Mum had a, a medical um, problem in her eye that we they just didn't have the resources to help her back in the village. So yeah, it was my mother. Uh, my auntie Mo and myself set off 
to this unknown journey um, to, to Kenya, which is completely another country. Um, and then, yeah, that's how our whole story started. Oh. How did you travel? Mum told me the story. So she um, by, it was mainly by um, cars um, and it was, uh, wasn't a very easy, um, sing- especially as a single, a single parent, um, not really knowing a lot, not having m- money, all that stuff. But mum was a very, um, what, um, she's she's very like friendly person that just made connections everywhere mm-hmm. she went, um, and through those connections she was able to find her way. Um, with um, she she went to um, Uganda, she met people there. There was a, the thing that was she said that there was a little, um, just it's like a village just on the on the border of Uganda and South Sudan, um, and she went there and found some 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 relatives that were able to help her um, get to to Kenya um, and in that time there was also com- conflict and all, all sorts of stuff um, and she told me a story that um, one day they were sitting around um, and uh, I think there was a grenade that kind of blew up and I got stuck in some <laughs> she said that um, everyone kind of disappeared and I was playing somewhere and I got stuck somewhere so I've been in a lot of different scenarios that put my life in in a lot of danger but I always survived Mm. uh so yeah she came back they were frantic looking for me um and then they went and found me hidden away somewhere um which was um for her to she was very very thankful um that that happened but um yeah that was on her way going to to Kenya to get this medical um treatment and stuff so I I consider myself lucky because not a not a lot of kids got the opportunities to, you know, my my mom, we we went to Kenya and then we, we kind of stayed in in Kenya, and we got to Kenya at a really good time where the 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 governments in in different countries were opening refugee um, opportunities for people to relocate. So for us, we got to Kenya and we made that our home. And especially living in in the Kakuma refugee camp, it was um, you just made the the most of the opportunity that you had there. And for us, um, the the main important thing was having shelter and just some kind of security and safety. And what does a day in the life look like there? Um. Well, again, like I, I think at the time when we were in the camp, we were. We were uh, not lucky, but we were. It was a little bit more stable and 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 settled um, than what people see now. It's very different circumstances where there is just conflict and poverty and all sort of stuff still happening. Um, so for us, when we got there, I think what the the UNHCR did really well was the opportunities for families that kind of were from the same area to stay together. Um, so for us, we went to a group um, called um, Group 21, and we then figured that we had cousins that were staying in the same area. So it was like a suburb, like we kind of just made it like a suburb, like Richmond. Um, and it was it was just amazing just knowing that you had people that spoke the same language as you, mm-hmm. um, and you can kind of build relationships, and, and, and you pretty much have a brand new family. 
that you're on this journey together. Um, mm. In in ninety two, my dad passed away from a conflict um, between different tribes. So, um, and he didn't just pass away by himself. There was he went with uh, 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 I guess all his his cousins and, and relatives and a lot of them never returned home so mm-hmm. um it was it was a lot safer being i guess away from south sudan where there was you just never knew when there was going to be the next big conflict or where the war when the war is going to erupt or, or something like that so mm-hmm. so for for my family and i um, i consider my childhood very lucky that i was able to you know relocate and then have the opportunity to then come to Australia mm. so yeah um I think all together we started our um visa processes to come to Australia which took us 9 years um mm. all together I think the 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 attitude in Australia is that you know refugees and migrants you just get handed a ticket to come to this country um for my family we had to go through medical checks um we had to go through um interviews we had to put together a life story pretty much our whole family um and submit that to go to the government and prove why we we should come to this country and why we deserve that opportunity um and then we had to get somebody sponsor us so our sponsor had to pay a lot of money for us to come in we had our uncle um John Mayer who was here um and he he did that whole sponsorship and gave us the opportunity that we have now Uh, my mom's always been a very strong-willed woman with plan A, plan B, plan C, plan she had all mm. kind of plans. Um she had a hotel um and in the hotel we would finish school go and help her out. Um and it was just for her to provide food and 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 and, and things things for us as her kids. Um because um yeah, she just did not want to um see us suffering and she she wanted to make sure that we had very much um the 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 right resources um to to raise us so mm-hmm. she she tried really hard um we had um um the ref, um the UNHCR provided um monthly food um for for everyone that lived in the camp um so yeah when it was time to go and get your um stuff that you you had to go and get um you go and line up those lines um and they pretty much give you for the the amount of people that you have Um so there's there were seven people in your in your um in your household that's that's the amount you get um and then yeah just went to school and then as 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 a kid I kind of just went through life as a as a normal kid I think mum was the one that really um dealt with most of the 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 hard stuff but mm. but then she was also not only looking after us but she was also looking after her parents who were still back in South Sudan as well so wow. her navigating all of, all all of that um is a is just a woman that didn't speak English wow. um she spoke I think Ethiopian yeah um, yeah um, Hamaric she spoke Swahili she spoke Arabic um and Dinka but yeah mum just always found a way and what did home look like like physically um so now there was, there's obviously um that we had a we had a brick home like this actually yeah. uh-huh. which was cool so they built um the the I think our cousins and uncles built that when mom came to the camp um and it was um it was a one bedroom there was a two beds and then there was like a like a main area and then it was we were pretty much in the same compound as other family members and that was pretty much our main block for all of our family so 
um, siblings, grandparents, and we would sleep, like have mattress on the floor. Mm. Um, there was a couple of wood made beds that, um, yeah, people got really crafty and, and creative, which was which was cool. Mm. Um, just, yeah, how they figured out all these things. Like now you can go super AMAD and <laughs> yeah. go buy a bed. Uh, we didn't have that luxury. So arts and craft and all that stuff were... Um, yeah, we're really big in the camp, so people got really creative, and um, yeah, we kind of just made with with what we had. Yeah. Really, there was no no room to complain. We didn't know anything any better. That was just um, yeah. Sometimes when it was too hot inside, there was no aircon, there was no um, electricity. Mm. Um, yeah, so it it got dark around five six o'clock so if you were not at home at that time you're screwed because uh-huh. the dogs are going to be chasing you <laughs> yeah did you have any window as a young person to the outside world no when we were in the camp we didn't um we just yeah what there was obviously like NGOs that came and visited people from Canada people from Australia people that sponsored um the UNHCR programs and stuff like that so that that like that would be the only time where you you see a foreigner and we just we had a little window where we stayed in Arobi um and we stayed in in an apartment building um and we had friends upstairs that had a TV we didn't have a TV in our in our house but it was like when it was like seven o'clock or whatever time home and away came on like we would just leave home and go upstairs to go and watch with our friends and yeah, it was just it was just cool. It was just something different, like escaping, like mm. just what you you're so used to, which was like playing, going to school, yeah. always just being around family. And then when it got dark, you went to sleep. Yeah. So it was nice just having, yeah, just watching TV. The process yeah. of why Australia for the first thing, you know, were there other options that might have taken you in a different direction or did your family choose Australia yeah could you just tell us that story um yeah the process was very um so my my mom had a best friend um that went to Canada um and her best friend got in contact with her and said would you guys like to come to Canada and mom said yeah so we kind of we put to we put um a a process through put a form through for for Canada that fell through um I think we put something through for Norway as well so we would have ended up in Norway um that fell through and then it wasn't until our uncle that so our our house in the camp and my uncle's house were just back to back so he was literally our neighbor next door um so our uncle um then got in contact with mom and said Australia have just opened the processes for people to come to the country um is this something you'd be interested in um and then yeah mum said i'd be crazy not to want to because there was a lot of other family members and friends that were going through the same path as well so yeah that's how australia came about after a couple of different countries and attempting to go somewhere else um and then yeah australia was a lucky one but it just meant waiting longer yeah and um, yeah, the the process. Um, I think we we were seven years out, and then my mom fell pregnant with my little brother, Bush, um, and they gave us the option that we either left him in the camp, come to Australia, um, or we add him, and then have to wait. And the first option was never going to be 
but like we just we were like we were like he was so cute oh. <laughs> and tiny and we we're like no that is not gonna happen when was this that i, I think mean, it was like that 2002 2001 time yep that it was like we were so close to getting our visas and finally getting our tickets to come to australia yeah. and then it was just it was fitting that our little brother be- came as a blessing mm. because yeah we we kind of we added him and then it kind of hurried the process ah. um and then yeah we were finally granted our visas and then yeah now it was time to book the tickets and then our uncle here had to pay and then he couldn't afford because there were nine of us mm. in our original um form so um he couldn't afford all of the nine people so then our other uncle in in Perth had to finish off the rest of the sponsorship so it meant that we had to relocate to Perth because we were originally coming to Melbourne so everything we knew about coming to Australia was the Sydney Opera House pretty much all the big landmarks and and all that stuff that you you know you find out about Australia um and then yeah we ended up eventually um having to go to Perth and then I said to my mum I was still going to Australia and she said yes I said that's all that matters. How old were you when you landed in Perth? So I was 11. Yep. Um we landed on the 17th of May 2005 so I was 11 turning 12 in September. Wow. Yeah. What do you remember Akesh when you get to Perth? Um yeah so we came through um Jomo Kenyatta Airport which is in Nairobi the capital and then we let la- we got on this big plane. It was my first time getting on a plane. It was it was blurry. Everything was it was all happening. I think what was really at first was the every because we had to come to Nairobi to wait for I think a couple of months before wow. all of that. So our whole like everyone that was in our building, um, everyone stayed. So we had to hire like two different mini buses to get everyone to the airport, um, and just saying bye to all of our friends and mm. and all of that was was really hard and and family members and then. Yeah, we set off in this unknown journey. We just we just got on a plane and we just gone to this new country. We're like, cool. Mum thought it was going to snow. She so she just dressed us up like <laughs> So I was wearing this like puffer jacket type like jacket and it was I had red and beige. It was it was all happening. And yeah, we got on the plane. I got really really bad plane sickness that oh, day. Wow. So I think I was vomiting for most of the 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 time <laughs> through to Dubai. Um and then yeah, Dubai was another experience. It was just like it was like a different world. I was like, what is happening here? I remember just walking around looking up like, whoa, what 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 where are we? Like <laughs> what is happening yeah. here? Like it was nothing clicked and then yeah, we finally transit to the next plane. So we got on our last flight um over to Perth and yeah we we came at night it was a night time and it was chilly it wasn't too cold mm-hmm. um but i just remember it was just bright lights and just just again another different vibe to what we were used to um yeah it was unreal and you wake up the next day and in daylight yeah. what do you see um i see because we stayed in uh, on a, in a house on Marabuka Avenue um and i'd see there was a sc- school opposite so there's kids i think going to school and then there was green buses in perth i just 
I just love those buses. I don't know why. They were just massive and green. I was like, cool, this is weird. So I would just sit there and just stare at the buses. Um, and yeah, it was, it was unreal. It was, yeah, it was. <laughs> so you instantly felt good? I felt like you just, you just had to adjust because yeah. we, we moved around so much mm. that this was just another, another thing that we had to do. So, um, yeah, change was never a problem for me. I think it was just the, um, the, the, it was just cool to finally have a destination. Mm. Like we finally found <laughs> like a home. And where do you live when you land in Perth? So we got put together with a family, um, the Malid Ral family. They were just phenomenal. There were three kids um, that came here the same way. So they put us with them. Um, and yeah, we just had to, they gave, they gave up their rooms just to fit us in. Um, and then, yeah, they, we stayed for the, them for about three months and then we finally went to our, our first house in, uh, in Alexander Heights. And then, yeah, it was really cool. We, wow. we had a house with like, they, they got us TV um, and yeah, it was just amazing. When did you first see Aussie Rules Football? Um, I think we came at a really perfect time. We came 2005 and it was the time where the West Coast Eagles just were like just on fire. They were just like winning everything and um, you had to pick between West Coast and and Fremantle. Mm -hmm. Um, And me being me, I had to pick because they had better colours. Um, West Which Coast. One? Okay, in um, your in, view. In my view. Um, <laughs> and they had better looking boys. Okay, <laughs> the time. in your view. And I'm like, you're 11. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't matter. I was like, I just have to make a choice here. Yeah. So yeah, they made the grand final that year. They lost to the Sydney Swans. Um, and then they made the grand final the next year and then won. And Perth just kind of like, it was just, oh, it was the time of Chris Judd and Ben Cousins. Yeah. And it was, it was unreal like yeah. I just I just got so into it like wow. it was weird yeah yep. like I was like I don't even know anything about the sport but I just got so into it and I just yeah I just started following it um and then yeah 10 like we would there would be like different sports at school um and every like term one would be like soccer term two would be like cricket term three like something different so when footy came I always just managed to listen and just like just give it give it a good just go and learn like how to handball how to kick all that stuff and then in year 10 my teacher who was the head of I think he was the head of phys at that time um Craig Thomas he was like okay to go to this thing and I was like what is it and I looked and he's like he said like girls like carnival trials for with East Perth football club so I like I was like nah I don't know and he's like just give it a try I said cool um, so I I hit it I didn't even look at it ever and then he saw me again he's like did you go and I was like oh, I didn't call them so I called them finally um, then I spoke to a guy his name is Brendan McFall um, and he he um, he said yeah we have our training session next week come down so I went down we had four sessions um, and it was just all these girls and one girl like tackled the the coach. And I was like, I need to leave. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? She just took him out. Like, Whoa. she just took out the coach. And I was like... Had you ever kicked a footy? Ooh, uh, yeah, before that, I kicked okay. a footy. But I just never... Like, I just... I kicked the footy with, like, t- 
classmates. Sure. But this was like a training session. This was now. hardcore. This was like checking out the coach. This is like <laughs> now going to like drills, like and I had no idea what was happening. Yep. All I knew was like how to play soccer. Like I just was doing what I saw on TV, just getting the ball and just running with a ball and kicking it forward and doing all kind of stuff and just like like game one, I think we lost and like it's, as the more games we went on, the better we got and the fun it got. Um, and the parents were just amazing. Like I just felt like I was like, I don't even know these people and they're making me feel so welcomed and I just, I feel like I just, I just belong there. Um, and yeah, I got voted the MVP for the day. And I was like, what is that? Oh. <laughs> but I still wasn't convinced. So I went back, played another year of soccer. Um, and then, yeah, finally I gave in to footy. Um, the Edmund Rice Centre, which was a multicultural football team that the Western Australian Football Commission put together. They were having like a, a, a boys team that year. Um, and then I was volunteering with them at the, the centre. I was volunteering with the with the workplace. They said, why don't you come and just play? Like, And they organised games like every... It was just all over the place. So I said, cool. So I was the only girl in the team. I was the first girl in that team. And then they voted me the captain. So I captained the boys. These boys didn't have a clue about footy. None of us did. Um, the only thing was we knew was we just wanted to give it a good crack and just mm. have fun. Mm. Um, and, yeah, we played our first game. I kicked the first goal. Um, and, yeah, the girls, the boys just gave me so much respect and I just loved that. And then I, yeah, I finished that season. I think we played nine games. And I was like, wow, that was actually, yeah, maybe I'll go play footy now. So, yeah, I called, called Brendan again. <laughs> and I said, hey, um, is there a women's team nearby? Um, and he said, yeah, actually, uh, Mount Lawley Hawks are just down the road from where you live. So I said, okay, perfect. So, yeah, I went down and I played a season with the Mount Lawley Hawks. Um, I think after four weeks of playing with them, I got a phone call. Um, for Martin Pierman, who was the state coach that time, and said, um, we've been seeing you play. We need a back backup ruck <laughs> um, for the state team. So I, I said, what, ruck? I've been playing as a as a winger. And, um, yeah, play, went and um, trialled with the state team. Uh, got picked. It was another unreal moment. We went to Cairns, um, played, was playing against, I um, think, my first Rock hit out was against Astor O'Connor, which uh-huh. just went straight for my stomach. And Whoa. I think I was winded. I didn't know what being winded was. Wow. <laughs> and I thought I died. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was epic. And it was like, whoa. Like, but I think um, just the opportunity to be in the same team with the likes of Chelsea Randall and Cara Antonio and Kirby Bentley. Um, and yeah, it was it was just unreal. Like I was like, I don't know what's happening. And now um, on the opposite team, Vix, there was my hope. And um, the the Daisy Peers, I, I didn't know them at the time, but they you knew them afterwards. Now I know, <laughs> yeah. and I did. And I was like, when they started doing the exhibition series, I was like, geez, I played against her. Yeah. I played against uh-huh. her. That was we made. I made the decision to relocate to Swan District. Um, where I was until um, 2018 when I finally relocated to Melbourne. So, yeah, I think I won four premierships down there. So, How does it come to pass <laughs> that you become a Fremantle player? Fremantle was one thing, but I think... So when I was playing, I just never had AFL women's or anything. I just wanted to play footy at the highest level, and that was at 
in WA with the waffle. And um, yeah, so that was it. And at the time, Sun District were very good side. So yeah, yeah it was it was amazing. So um, and then yeah, the AFL announced that the they're gonna launch the AFL women's competition in 2017. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but good for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then I got a phone call from um, Fremantle and they said, we want you to come down. We're doing a trial day for rocks. And I said, oh, okay, cool. So at that time I was still playing as a rock. So I went down, there was like Gemma Holden and other girls um, just, we were there trialing as rocks. Um, and then, yeah, they said, um, just nominate um, for the drafts. And then, yeah, when we draft you, your name, we'll call your name out and you'll find out on that day. And then, yeah, I nominated. Um, I actually didn't even want to nominate. I didn't really understand the whole process. Nicole Graves made me, so she made sure that I put the application through, which I finally did. I had to text her, so I did. Um, and then, yeah, Fremantle, I was just watching. The, the rounds were just going, and then it was their last round um, and it was their last pick and then I missed my name because the man just did not pronounce my name properly I was watching it on my laptop and I looked at the screen and it was my me with my picture that I submitted and was I had my curly hair that time and my name and I was like what wait I wait did I just like and I just like was like whoa did that just really happen and I kind of and I was just, yeah, it was just emotions and um, just just happy emotions. And, yeah, the Fremantle called, I think, an hour later and said, congratulations, welcome to Fremantle. And I said, cool, thanks. <laughs> um, and they said, yeah, we drafted you as a defender. Amazing. How was that first season? Because you were only with them for a year. Um, it was amazing. Yep. It was like we lost, all, we lost six games in a row and then won our last one but I think it was just the opportunity of being being a part of something that was so much bigger than than any of us knew at that time and you really felt that and yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um and it was yeah it was just yeah it was unreal I just I never thought that I would um be playing at 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 Blacktown Oval against the GWS Giants and my family be at home watching me on television like just that that was never a part of my plan that was never a part of anything that I had ever thought of, but it was now a reality. Totally. And it was, yeah, it was how, insane. How did it come to pass then that after that season, 2017, you moved to Melbourne? Uh, yeah, so at the end of that season, I well, you have your exit meetings and Fremantle said that, um, yeah, I got delisted uh, essentially. And, um, yeah, it was, it was sad. It was sad because I, just, I felt like I should have been given another opportunity to um, just keep learning. Mm. Um, but I said, if you've been through so many different obstacles, um, this is just one of those obstacles that you're going to have to navigate um, and, and deal with. Um, so I went back into the, my state league and, and worked really hard and just kept playing footy because I just really loved playing footy with my teammates and friends. Um, and then the year after Carlton, um, showed an interest and they yep. said they wanted to give me an opportunity to have a uh, my second opportunity in the IFLW. Um, draft came, they didn't draft me um, and then six weeks later they called and said, look, we, we really like what you bring um, and we'd love to give you the opportunity to come and play in the VFLW um, here in Victoria. So yeah, I 
made it it was a very hard decision Huge. to leave my mom Huge. um that I, I think i had i think i had like money just enough money for a ticket to one way ticket to melbourne bought three bags and then i had 20 dollars <laughs> Oh left my in my account and I was like I was I was still young and irresponsible and I was like oh I'm sure I'll be fine and then mum called my sister my first cousin that lives here in Mel- Melbourne Yana Wood and she said look um she she's decided to move to Melbourne I'm gonna back her 100% but I'm only gonna be comfortable if she goes and stays with you guys um and my sister said yeah no problem so um yeah so I came and stayed with my uh, first cousin Yana Wood and her family for the first seven months and everything kind of just um, took off from there. I got a job um, at AFL Victoria um, as part of the AFL sports ready traineeship so that was uh, amazing. I got to do my cert for in business um, which was really incredible um, so it was just another opportunity to just, just grow and learn so I finished that traineeship and then I got offered a full-time job as a uh, multicultural development officer so and then yeah played in the VFLW um, with Carlton um, in 2019 I made the decision to come out to Tigerland. Were you ever scared? Um, No we came to Australia with zero dollars right. <laughs> so I was like no, money was never a problem for me like I can have zero dollars and not like I, I, I've, I think I've learned from my mom you just made you just made things happen. Like yep. if one thing didn't work, you tried a different way. So I think that's why I wasn't scared because um, I knew I had two hands, two legs. Um, and for me, I'm yeah, I said I can go and make something. I can go and get a job and um, live. <laughs> How did Tigerland recruit you? Tell that story. We were deciding because I got to a point where I was like, I got a, I had a really good job, but I just wasn't enjoying footy. Okay. Um, and I wanted to just enjoy footy again. Um, so when I spoke to my manager, um, Anthony Van Wilden, I said, Vando, I want to go back to soccer. And he said, no, we're not doing that. And I said, he said, go to sleep and call me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, cool. Uh, so yeah, I spoke to him and he said, you're, you're a good footballer. And I said, oh, fine. Um, and he said, cool, let's come up with a plan. And he said, what other clubs can we go to? And I said, um, I don't know. So we come up, come up with different options. I am somebody who wants to make life super easy. So I would have preferred to live across the road from the club if I had my way um, or live across the road from work. I actually do. I live just down the road from work now. Great. Right. Um, but yeah, um, I said, I actually just want to go to Richmond. And he said, what do you know about Richmond? Who do you know there? And I said, I the first game I went to at the MCG was Richmond play Essendon, and it was the Dreamtime game. Mm. And Richmond won that game. And I remembered just the way they were singing the song. I was like, I just want to be a part of that. And then he said, cool. He said, do you know anyone there? I said, no, but I hear the lady that runs it. Her name is um, Kate Sheehan. So I'll try and get her contacts um, through the guys that he had worked. So I got her contacts. And then Vander called the called um, the club, and then yeah, they 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 apparently knew of me, um, because I played, uh, we played um, Richmond when I was at Carlton in the mm-hmm. VFLW, and I apparently um, dominated that game. So Perfect. they th- that's all they remembered. <laughs> they just remembered number thirty four and just trying to find different ways of trying to shut me down because I just dominated Richmond that day. Um, so yeah, I finally came down. It was a Wednesday night and just the girls, the way they just welcomed me 
um it was just phenomenal it was just like so it was just so fun and just so free i had a lot of fun in the vflw and i learned a lot i learned mm. so much and i was able to just believe in myself again um and what i can do and we had a really good season the vflw and then yeah richmond were entering aflw and it kind of just organically happened it wasn't mm. forced or anything um it was yeah and here you are yeah <laughs> sitting in punt road oval in the jumper about yeah. to go to training yeah. actually yeah. you're working for the afl yeah you are on the list here what's life like apart from or outside of footy um yeah life's amazing um i think relocating to melbourne's been very good for my personal development as as a person yeah it's just it's amazing to be able to not only contribute on the field but also off the field being able to give other young multicultural kids the opportunities to be able to pick up football Mm. and play football and then the opportunity to be able to engage people from our community to become fans so there's a there's this a there's a whole movement um and it's a movement that started a while ago with the majak do and alira lear um and for me being i think the the only um i think i was the first african woman to play afl women's um to be able to you know be a voice for the younger girls to come through um, is is amazing. And now it's been really good to see a young woman down at Fremantle, Roxy Roo, yes. um, who is of African heritage as well. And she actually came through one of my programs that I ran, the All Nations program down in WA. I've got two more. Yeah. And I could talk to you for 10 years. <laughs> well, I'm now just... that you say to, said that, we're going to be stuck together for a while. No, okay. <laughs> but um, in the interest of like keeping to time with this, how would you summarise what it has been like being an original AFLW tiger? Uh, oh, unreal. Um, it's been... Oh, when I was at Fremantle, it's, um, we're so removed when you're in WA and um, it's, it's an incredible experience. Um, but just, just being a part of, of Richmond, like you're not just... Like you, you, we're not just a women's program. We're part of the, the Richmond football club yeah it starts from the top i think it starts from peggy um brendan neil Barnes, um kate sheehan and her team and what she's been able to set up and i think that these are the people that drive for everyone in the club to get on board um and really just get around all the programs that we run here what do you hope for football in a bigger picture its power to galvanise and um, mobilise and change yeah. culture. We can even go bigger and better to really include the community, to make them feel like Australia is their home. Um, because I think we, we find ourselves as a, as a country that sometimes we pigeonhole people mm. um, and then the only ones that get treated special are the ones that are doing good like myself and Alir and Majak and Mabirchol and, you know, we, 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 we are then, I guess, seen as the role models in our communities. But, um, yeah, I want people to give people a chance. Just give people opportunities to be, be who they are and find, find their feet. It's not easy to leave. Like I always say, just put yourself in the shoes of what my family and I had to go through leaving our, like, I would have loved to stay back home and be with my grandparents and 
get to know them and get to know my culture. But circumstances didn't allow for that to happen. Um, so that's why my story is so different. So I say, um, have compassion. Compassion is what we need a- as a nation to be able to, um, yeah, just give people the opportunities to be themselves, give people the opportunities to figure things out. Um, for, for me, I've been very lucky that football's given me opportunities and the resources and the tools to be able to share my story. But there's a lot of people that have remarkable stories um, that they just don't have the capacity to share it. So I hope that we can kind of share their stories as well and that you can pick up a piece of what it means to be a refugee, what it means to be an immigrant in this country um, and what it means to have to leave everything that you know and come to a, a, a different world that you just don't know. So. Well, Akesh, you're doing all of those things and you're playing football yeah. and you're, it's such a powerful voice, face, you name it. Mm. So thank you for sharing it and good luck. <laughs> thank you. It's very, very exciting. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. You too. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> to close us in customary originals fashion, Sign off, Brendan Gale. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends, family, footy fans, even someone who thinks they don't like footy. And final word, or maybe two, Peggy O'Neill. Go Tigers.